Well, this is our speaker this morning, Brother Lee. Would you say good morning, Lee? Good morning, Lee. Lee Thomas uh, is a native of Louisiana. He pastored for quite a number of years. And the Lord gave him a grace for teaching people how to pray for the lost. How many have some people that you love that are lost? Hold your hand up. Well, you you really enjoy this morning. He spoke Friday night, Saturday morning, and today you're going to really enjoy it. He has these books out in the foyer. They're just at for a few dollars donation. Pick one up. It will really be a blessing to you. You can teach these in other Bible studies. So, Brother Lee, let me pray for you. Father, for your servant, strengthen him, give him your anointing, show him what he needs to say. But Lord, pierce our hearts. I pray our hearts would break for the lost today, that people need Christ and need forgiveness. So release your power in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Steve. Let me say a word about the books real quickly. The little yellow book came out in 03, so it's been out for 18 years now. We've got over a million copies. It's in about 35 or 40 languages. I've actually lost count of how many. But right now we've got uh, Christian leaders in seven different countries uh, that are requesting the book in their languages, and uh, some of them have multiple languages. And so it's like 16 languages. So we need to get these books printed in 16 different languages. And uh, if God impressed you to help us to do that, then uh, that would be awesome. Uh, I'm asking you to take the yellow book and read it and study it. I'm going to be talking about praying for the lost this morning. And I talked about that yesterday, but uh, I'm just scratching the surface. The book is full of good information. It'll help you. So please take the book and study it. Uh, I had a lady in Kansas City, Missouri. I was up there teaching the material. And she said, Brother Lee, I prayed for my two sons for years and years. and didn't see any results. Somebody gave me a copy of this little yellow book. She said, I read it four times. And I started praying these principles. And she said, my, both my sons called me within three weeks, said they'd gotten saved. One of them was a drug pusher. All he'd ever done was sell drugs. She said one time he had to leave town because somebody else put a hit out on him. And she said, now at the age of 40, he has his first legal job. All he ever done was sell drugs. But she said, now I've read the book 60 times. And she's on the Prairie Evangelism team that goes out in the streets and witnesses. So uh, if you'll read the book uh, and study it, it'll help you to win souls. The second book is called Living the Exceedingly Victorious Life. It deals with strongholds, basically in Christians. Uh, two ways you can tell you've got one, five major ways they get started, how to get rid of them, how to get free. All of us need that, folk. All of us have strongholds at one time or another. Because a stronghold is just simply a mindset that's against the word and will of God. And all of us are like that. You know, all of us have some scriptures we don't understand or agree with or we don't obey. We may not agree with them. We just don't, we just don't obey them, do we? So it'll help you. The third book is uh, called Life's Best Kept Secret. And it deals with spirit, soul, and body and how God made us for our spirit and soul to cooperate. He made us for our spirit to be in, have authority over our soul. Our soul always has authority over our body. And when we get in trouble, folks, is when our soul rebels against our spirit. The spirit always knows what to do. Our spirit does, but the soul wants to do its own thing. And your soul is yourself. And so uh, this book will really help you. So take the books and read them and study them and uh, apply them to your life. And I believe it'll uh, do you a lot of good. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about uh, how to pray for the lost in the sense of I'm going to give you some pointers in how to do it. Okay. 
I've had a lot of people say, Brother Lee, would you, would you pray a prayer or would you write down a, a simple prayer? And I said, no, I don't want to do that because I don't want people praying out of rote. You see, prayer is warfare. And one time you might need a sword, one time you might need a pistol, one time you might need a cannon, and sometimes you need an atomic bomb. So I, I, I don't want to pray, uh, I don't want to pray a prayer that here's the way you do it, Okay. Because God will give you wisdom to know what to pray when you're dealing with someone. And you pray what needs to be, needs to be prayed according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But what you're doing is you're binding the strong man and pulling down the stronghold. And that's what gets a person ready to come, come to know Christ. But let me give you nine pointers on how to do it. Uh, number one is motive. Now, folk, motive is really, really crucial. The thing about motive is you can have a wrong motive and not know that you have a wrong motive. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 uh, says we, uh, we, uh, uh, we don't have because we don't ask. And then he says we ask and receive not because we ask amiss to consume it upon our lust. And so, folk, that means we're praying with the wrong motive. We're praying with selfish desires. I had a lady the other day uh, uh, emailed me, and she wants me to pray for a guy that she likes, and I think she wants to date him, but he's not a Christian, and I've done that for several ladies, and I think I have yet to see one of them get saved. Because when you date a guy that's not saved, or you date a girl that's not saved, you're already outside of God's will right there. See? And so it's a prayer that's going to be selfish. It's going to be a prayer that's the motive is, is messed up. And so uh, it's not going to probably happen. And so uh, you might just, you, you just need to pray for somebody. If you got somebody like it, you, you pray for God to save them, whether you ever have a date with them or not. And after God saves them, then you can talk about the other part. Amen? So anyway, uh, the motive is crucial. Now, in praying for a lost person, your main motive must be for God to get the glory. But there are two major wrong motives when we pray for lost people, especially those that are close to us. And so let me just suggest to you this morning, if you've been praying for a family member or a close friend for a long time, and you hadn't seen them get saved yet, you may want to check your motive. See, that's probably nine times out of ten, that's the reason they're not, they're not saved. The two major wrong motives are selfishness and pride. The first time I came up here in 2004, uh, I taught this material in a church in Union, Kentucky. And when I finished, uh, an older gentleman came up to me and he said, Brother Lee, I want to tell you my story. She, he said, uh, my son left home at the age of 18. He was pretty much an alcoholic. And he said, for the last 27 years... He's been in jail, out of jail, on drugs, on alcohol, life totally wasted. He said, we've been praying for him for 27 years. He said, uh, somebody gave me a copy of this little yellow book. He said, I read the book. God showed me that my motive was wrong. And he said, I changed my motive to pray for God to get the glory for my son's salvation. And he said, one Tuesday night, while me and my wife were praying for our son to get saved, unbeknownst to them at the time, Somebody was leading their son to Christ while they were praying for him. Folks, when he got his motive right, he, his son got saved almost immediately. So, so check your motive. Motive is subtle. You can have a wrong motive, not realize you got a wrong motive. Uh, the second wrong motive is going to be pride. Uh, his was pride, and, and, and he, he, he was ashamed because he was a deacon in that church, and his son acting like he did embarrassed him. And so the other one's going to be selfishness, pride and selfishness. I was in a church some time ago. I was teaching this material. And when I finished, the lady who played the piano came up to me. She said, Brother Lee, she said, I've been praying for my husband for years. And she said, uh, and God's never saved him. 
And she said, I never knew why until today. And she said, my husband's mean to me. And I've been praying for God to save my husband so he wouldn't be mean to me anymore. She was praying out of a selfish motive. God never heard her prayer. So check your motive. Make sure that your motive is for God to get the glory. And if it's not, folk, uh, your prayer's not going to be answered. It's just that simple. And again, if it's somebody close to you, the motive could be messed up and you not even know that it's messed up. So ask God to show you if your motive is wrong. Uh, the second thing you need to do is when you pray for a lost person, pray in faith. Now, you need to pray every prayer in faith, but especially when you pray for lost people, you need to pray in faith believing. Uh, sometimes a person is so bad, we're just not sure if it's going to work or not. Uh, I've got a friend that's a lawyer, and he came to the last church I pastored, and, and of course, I'd taught this material, and he knew the principles, and uh, he got up one day and gave a testimony. He said, I've been praying for a man. He's he pretty rough character. He said, I, but I didn't believe God was going to save him. He was so bad, he didn't think God was going to save him. But the man got saved. I think somebody else was praying for him too. I'm not sure it was a lawyer's prayer that, uh, that got him saved. Matter of fact, I said one time when I was preaching, I said, won't, there won't be any lawyers in heaven. And what I meant is they won't be practicing law up there. There may be some of them there, but they won't be doing business up there as a lawyer. You understand what I'm saying? So I think a few of them are going to make it. But, but anyway, he didn't think the guy was going to get saved because he was so rough. And so you've got to believe, you got to believe that they're going to be saved. According to your faith, be it unto you. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you're going to pray for somebody, believe that God's going to save them. I mean, from the outset, believe God's going to save them. And in the book, I talk about some good examples, you know. The wild man of Gadara. You don't even know anybody that's in that bad of shape. God saved him. And so, uh, so pray for them, believing that God's going to save them. Now, I was watching, watching the documentary some time ago about Einstein. And, you know, Einstein came up with this theory of relativity. And it took a, a total eclipse of the, of the sun to prove his theory right. It was just a theory at the time. And sure enough, in 19, I think, 22, uh, there was a total eclipse of the sun. And the best place to see it was, I think, in Australia. And so the scientists went to Australia. And, you know, they got their, all their best equipment they had in those days. And, and they began to view the, uh, the eclipse and so forth. And, and folks, they discovered that Einstein was right. And he came up with this formula, E equals MC squared, which is basically telling how much energy you can get out, when you, out of an atom when you split the atom. And so I was watching this documentary on, on Einstein, and he, he was a Jew. He was probably not saved, but he was a Jew. And God has blessed the Jewish people with uh, a lot of things, and one of them is intellect. And so I just started praying. I said, Lord, uh, I don't believe there's any way any mere man can come up with a, a theory and a, and a formula like this unless you help him. I mean, how can you come up with a theory that takes the eclipse of the sun to prove it? I mean, who could even think about that? And so I said, I, I believe you helped him with this thing. I said, would you help me with a formula for faith? Would you give me the formula for faith? And folks, if a formula is true, it'll work every single time. I said, would you give me a, the formula for faith that'll work every single time? And, uh, and, and it helped to know how to pray and get my prayers answered every time. And I prayed that prayer for probably two or three weeks. I don't remember now. Uh, but anyway, I was sitting in my son's church one Sunday morning. And before the service started, and I was one of the first ones there, evidently, and wasn't very many people in there at the time. And uh, so I was just sitting there meditating and praying, and, and God just dropped this formula in my spirit. And I want to give it to you this morning. You might want to write it down. It'll help you. 
The formula for faith that will get your answer every time is M equals RE squared. M equals RE squared. Now M stands for manifestation. That means answered prayer. So how do you get answered prayer? Well, it equals RE squared. R stands for rhema. Now in the Bible, there are two different words for uh, word. One is logos, L-O-G-O-S. The other is rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Two words. Now the logos is the entire word of God. Matter of fact, it includes God himself. John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word logos. The word logos was with God and the word logos was God. So the word is with God. The word was God. So all that God is and thinks and does uh, and has written in what we call the Bible today, that's logos. Okay. Now the other word is rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Now in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word for coming there literally means to originate. So faith originates by hearing and hearing the word of God. But the word there is rhema. Okay. So rhema is a spoken word. The rhema is the one that's got the life in it. In Matthew 13, when the Lord tells the story of the parable uh, of the uh, sower of the seed, he said he's planted seed. uh, And when he explained it to the disciples, he said it was the word. The seed was the word. And it fell on four different kinds of soil. And the word for word there is logos. So he planted the, the logos, the seed. And if the soil was good, the logos would produce fruit. Okay. Now, but the rhema is the one that's got the, got the, the uh, uh, kernel of life in it. Now, I have here a peach seed today. You may not be able to see it, but it is a peach seed. And you're familiar with peach seeds. It's got like a, a hard cover. looks like a piece of wood. And you put that peach seed in the ground and when the conditions are right and the time is right this hard cover will bust open and there's a little kernel in there about the size of my fingernail and that uh, that kernel that's where the life is that's the rhema this represents the logos the rhema's on the inside so if you'll take the logos hide it in your heart take the word of God hide it in your heart Paul told the Colossians that the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Why? Because when the word dwells in your heart, eventually it will come forth and produce fruit. It will become rhema for you. If your heart is in good shape, see, if you don't have bitterness and hatred and all that kind of stuff, otherwise it's not going to do much for you. But if your heart is in good condition, you're right with God. The logos that you plant in your heart, the one that you memorize and meditate on, it will become rhema and it will be fruitful for you. Matter of fact, Luke chapter 1, verse 37, uh, the, the, uh, our regular King James Version Bible uh, says that with God, nothing should be impossible. But here's what the Greek says. It says, with God, no rhema is void of power. So every word that God speaks to you that gives you, every logos that becomes real to you will produce fruit. See? Now, folks, listen to me closely. The truth must become your truth before it'll help you. The truth of God's word must become real to you. It must become your, your truth before it'll help you do anything. That's why some people can take a scripture and uh, on healing or something else and bam, live by it, by it and be healed and see things happen, see miracles happen because they've taken the logos and got it in their heart and it becomes rhema and it becomes their truth and they can live on it. You can't, just, you can't live on logos. You have to live on rhema. See? 
Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that's what we're supposed to live on. We are to live on the word of God that proceeds out of the mouth of God, every word. And the word there is rhema. So what we live on, folk, are the rhemas that God gives you, okay? Uh, God gives us rhema. So one of these books talks about rhema quite a bit. It explains it. I hope you'll get the book and read it and study. I don't have time to go into deep detail this morning. But it will help you. It will help you. So here's, here's what our formula is again. M equals RE squared. M is manifestation, answered prayer. Equals R, rhema, a word from God. Faith comes by hearing a rhema from God. And the E is expectation. The E is expectation. Faith uh, uh, comes from hope. Faith is a foundation. Hope is, is what it comes out of, okay? And the word for hope in the Greek literally means expectation. So watch this. Faith comes out of expectation. You get what you expect. Now, it has to be squared. That's why the formula is M equals RE squared. Manifestation equals a word from God time expectation squared. Now, focus not double, it's squared. E equals MC squared. Uh, that's energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. The speed of light squared is about 32 billion miles per second, which is moving on pretty good. Now, I travel a lot, and I used to think, Lord, I'd, I'd not like to be able to travel that fast when I'm on these long trips, but I was afraid I, if going that fast, I couldn't stop soon enough. I'd pass up my destination before I could think, you know. Plus, you, you, might, you might hurt yourself driving that fast anyway, or traveling that fast. Anyway, I've got a bullet here. I love to use illustrations. It's visible if I can. I've got a bullet here that's a rifle bullet. And if I were to throw this bullet to, at, towards you this morning and hit you, it probably wouldn't hurt you. It might sting a little bit, but it wouldn't hurt you. But if I put this same bullet in a rifle and shot you, you'd probably be dead. It's the same bullet, the same piece of lead. The only difference is the speed at which it's traveling. And that's why expectation must be squared. You see, our expectations aren't very strong. And so it has to be squared. We have to really expect God to do it. We have to really expect God to do it. Mueller prayed for some men, five or six men. One of them he prayed for for 63 years. He said, he's not saved yet, but he's going to be. I'm praying for him. He expected and the man got saved. He prayed for one man all of his life, and he died, still hadn't seen him get saved. The man got saved at George Mueller's funeral. See, Mueller expected him to get saved. He got saved. Folks, you got to expect it. So take that formula and use it. Folks, it is a formula for faith. It will work every single time if you... Uh, if you follow the formula. Now, the first thing you got to do is get a rhema from God. You just can't say, I'm, I'm going to ask God for a million dollars. Well, and if God, unless God told you he's going to get you a million dollars, unless he's giving you a word, uh, it's probably not going to work. See? Manifestation equals rhema, a word from God, times expectation squared. Okay? Uh, number three is authority. And we talked about authority yesterday. I don't have time to talk too much about it today. But, folks, God has given us the authority to use the name of the Lord Jesus. We have authority over demons. And we have to exercise that authority. Let me tell you real quickly. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. God said, I'm giving Adam the dominion of the earth. And so he gave Adam, the man, the dominion of the earth. Matter of fact, in Psalms, he said, the heaven of the heavens belongs to the Lord, but the earth he's given to the children of men. So God gave Adam the dominion of the earth. And God never supersedes delegated authority. So he gave a man uh, the dominion of the earth. And so a man has to take it back because when Adam sinned, folk, the devil usurped the authority of the earth. He became the God of this world. But watch this. God has to use a man to take it back because he gave it to a man. 
That's why he sent the Lord Jesus as the man God. In Hebrews 2.14, Jesus came and he destroyed the work of the devil uh, and, and set us free. And folk, the word for destroyed does not mean, that verse does not mean annihilate. It means to, it rendered him null and void. In other words, he took away from the devil the right to rule the earth. And so the devil has to work through lost people to get his business done. But guess what? God works through saved people to get his business done too. So when Jesus gave us what we call the great commandment, uh, great commission in Matthew 28, he said, all authority in heaven and in earth is given unto me. Now, folks, all authority, authority in heaven's always been his, but he gave, he got the, the, the dominion of the earth when he died on the cross as the God-man. He took Adam's place. He took our place as a man on the cross. And he legally took back what Adam lost the guard, which is the right to rule the earth. And now that he says, all authority in heaven and in earth is given unto me, go ye therefore. So now he gives it to the church. He doesn't give his authority to, to mankind in general. He gives it to the church. So, folks, the church has the authority of the earth. That's why he said in Matthew 16, 19, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. Folks, he gives us the authority. He gives us the keys. Binding and loosing. We have the right to, to bind and loose in his name. We have the authority of the earth. And I'm here to tell you, if all God's people will come together from all different denominations and stand up for uh, what is right, uh, we could change our nation. We could vote in whoever we wanted to be president because we have the authority to do it. The devil doesn't have it. And, folks, the only reason the devil wins is because the church has not stood up and did what it's supposed to do. I'm going to tell you, according to Romans chapter 13, all authority comes from God, and we get the kind of government officials we deserve. There is no authority but of God. And I don't care how they got there in places of leadership. God had them put there because that's what we deserve. We hadn't stood up and done our part, so we lose. It's just that simple. Folks, the church has the authority of the earth. The Lord gave it to us, but we're not exercising it. Let me explain it to you like this. When you and I bind and loose, we're actually uh, just confirming what Jesus did on the cross. That's why he said it will already be done in heaven. It's kind of like a state trooper. He's sitting out here on the interstate, and uh, he's checking for speeders. And boy, here comes somebody zooming by 85, 95 mile, mile, miles an hour, and he doesn't stop him. <laughs> he's not doing his job. See, he's got a badge on chest. He, he's got the authority of the state of Kentucky behind him. And it's a law that, uh, you know, you're only supposed to go so fast. Somebody breaks the law. If he doesn't stop him, he's still breaking law. But policeman lets him go. He's not doing his job. And, folk, every soul legally belongs to the Lord Jesus. Paul said to Timothy, he says, all, uh, God is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. So legally, every soul belongs to the Lord, but the devil's got many of them bound, and he's given us responsibility to do something about it, and folks, we're not really doing a very good job about it. Most of us don't even know we've got the authority. But you've got the authority, so you've got to exercise it. So when you pray, exercise the authority, uh, especially when you're praying for lost people. Uh, number four is desire. You've got to desire it. Ma uh, uh, Mark eleven twenty four. the Lord said, Think what things soever you desire when you pray. Believe that you receive them, you shall, you shall have them. 
Here's what Paul said. He said, I can wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul was willing to die and go to hell. That's how strong his desire was if he could see the Jewish people get saved. Now, God won't let you do that. But if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to take somebody's place in hell, I'll tell you what, that's when you're about to see something happen. It works. Desire is, is powerful, folk, when you're praying for lost people. Number five is persistence. Sometimes you've got to stay with it. It's a strong man and a stronghold you're dealing with. They're strong, but greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So Christ in us is stronger than the devil in the world. And so we go come sometimes, you just have to stay with it. I told yesterday in one of our, our meetings about a little 16-year-old girl or teenager, I don't remember if she was 15 or 16, in Texas. In a revival meeting, I was preaching. Five nights in a row, I prayed for her and uh, to get saved. And here's what I prayed every single night. I said, Father, in Jesus' name, I bind the demonic spirit that controls her mind, and I command the stronghold of bitterness to be shattered. I knew bitterness was the key. I prayed that same prayer, folks, five nights in a row. And after the, fat, uh, the fifth night of praying that prayer, she comes to the pastor and said, Preacher, I need to get saved. Tears run down her face. And it may take more than one time praying it, but you stay with it because you've got the authority. See? And the devil, he doesn't give up easily. And he'll try to make you give up, and that's what he'll do. Number six is unity. Folk, unity is powerful. Matthew 18, 19, the Lord said, Just two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that shall ask. It shall be done to them, my Father, which is in heaven. Just two. If two of you shall agree, the word agree in the Greek is our word for symphony. Now, folk, in a symphony, every, every uh, musical instrument must be in tune and if just one of them is out of tune, you can't listen to the music. So when we get in tune with each other and with God, we can pray and ask what we will, and it shall be done. Deuteronomy 32, 30 says one can chase a thousand, but two can chase 10,000. Folks, when we get serious about coming together in unity, praying for lost people, we're going to see incredible things happen. I challenge you, get your prayer partner or get you several prayer partners, and you come together and pray uh, for lost people. In the book, I talk about triplet play, praying. And uh, in England years ago, when uh, Bill Graham was coming, uh, about a year before he came, well, they, they had meetings, and they started praying for people, and they did what they call triplet pray, praying. In other words, I would have like three uh, lost people on my list, and you'd have like three lost people on your list, and somebody else had three lost people. We'd come together. I'd help you pray for your three and your three, and you'd help me pray for my three. So all three of us would be praying for nine people. And folk, nearly every one of them that was prayed for like that got saved before Billy Graham ever came and preached. It just works. I challenge you to try it. <laughs> In the book of Acts, you may remember this story. Man, Peter got thrown in prison, and, and the church had met in someone's home, and boy, they were praying for, for God to get, get Peter out of prison, and Peter's knocking on the door, and Rhoda opens the door, and it's Peter, and uh, she runs in there and said, hey, Peter's here, and they said, no, he's in jail. We're praying for him. Get out. <laughs> now, there's a bunch of them praying, but they didn't have a lot of faith, evidently. But, but folk, when you got several people praying, at least one of them's going to have some faith, or two of them, or three of them. Everybody may not, but some of them will. You understand? So unity helps. So get you some prayer partners. Number seven is release. In the book, I talk about this. 
what you got to do is take your loved one and release that person into God's hand. It may be your son. It may be your husband. It may be somebody you love. It may be a neighbor. You say, God, I'm placing uh, Bob in your hands. Do whatever it takes to get his attention and draw him to you. Now, folks, Romans 2, 8, 2 uh, 4 says, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. God uses his goodness. Matter of fact, in the book, when I tell you to pray for lost people, pray for, pray for God to bless them. Why? Because it's his goodness that leads to repentance. The devil wants lost people to think God's just a, some great judge up there just waiting to zap them. No, no, no. He's a God of mercy and love. His mercies are new every morning. He loves us so much he sent his son to die on the cross for us. No, he is, he is love. That's one of the definitions. God is love. But the devil doesn't want people to think that. And so pray and say, God, I'm putting Bob in your hands and do whatever it takes to, to save him. I'm releasing him into your hands. And a lot of mothers have trouble doing that with their sons. A lot of, a lot of wives have trouble doing that with their husbands. They're afraid something bad's going to happen to them. Well, it might, but God's getting their attention. See, it'd be better if something bad happened to a person he got saved than to die and go to hell forever and ever, wouldn't it? But see, God deals gently. Remember what, what uh, David said to uh, his generals? Uh, when Absalom turned against him, he said, uh, deal gently with the young man for my sake. The folk, Absalom was trying to kill him. He was trying to take the kingdom. But he said, deal gently with him. Why? He's my son. So when I pray and, and I release somebody into God's hand, I said, Lord, deal gently with him, you know. But draw him to you. We had a lady in Louisiana. She ordered books for her prayer group, latest prayer group. And, and then she talked to her pastor to get me to come and, and, and teach material in the church. So he did. So while I was there, her and her husband took me out to lunch. And she told me her story. She said, Brother Lee, she said, my mom and dad were both Christians. She said, but after my dad died, she said, my mom started living with a man that was not a Christian. They didn't get married. They just started living together. And she said, I was praying and praying and praying for my mom. And I mean, she was living with a man instead of marrying him. And, and uh, she said, uh, God spoke to him and said, quit praying for her and start praying for him. And she said, he was a macho man. He had this man that's just macho personality and tough guy image and, uh, she said, so I started praying for him. That's what God said to do. And I started praying what you talk about in the book about releasing him into God's hand. I said, okay, God, take this man and do whatever it takes to save him. And she said that very day he had a massive heart attack and died. She said, I thought I had killed him with prayer. <laughs> but they got him resuscitated. They got him to the hospital. But folks, he was in the ICU for 18 days. And after 18 days, he came awake. And he saw Carol's mother standing by, by the bed, and he said, we need to get married here in the hospital. <laughs> I mean, God got his attention. And a few months later, the pastor had me come back and preach a revival after I talked to people on praying for the lost. And a man I'd never seen before came up to me and shook hands with me, and he left something in my hand. I looked, it was a $100 bill, and it was this macho man. He'd gotten saved, and he gave our ministry credit for his salvation. But folks, when she released him into God's hand, God knew what it was going to take to break him, and he did what it was going to take. Now, here's the danger. Do not suggest to God what he might do, because you don't know what God needs to do. You don't know what it'll take to break him, but God does. So just let him choose, okay? 
I was in Galveston, Texas area uh, some time ago. We did a meeting on Saturday, invited several churches, and so I talked for a couple of hours. We had lunch, then I come back and talk a couple, another couple of hours. And uh, at the end of the service, the pastor came and said, Brother Lee, there's a lady in my office. She wants to talk to us, to you. So uh, I went to his office. Here was a lady crying, and there was a man in her with, I guess it was her husband. But she said, Brother Lee, she said, my son is lost. And I came to my pastor. I don't know what church she went to, but she said, I came to my pastor, and I said, would you help me pray for my son? He's lost. And she, he said, yeah, let's pray for him. He said, let's pray that if he needs to get paralyzed, he'll get paralyzed. <laughs> and folks, he said those words. That's, that wasn't a prayer, but it was, he said those words, but it wasn't a prayer. See, here's the problem with that. Demons hear you when you say negative stuff, and they'll do the best they can to cause it to happen. I'm just here to tell you that that's real. And when, when the pastor said, if he needs to get paralyzed, let him get paralyzed. Uh, a couple of days later, he was in a car wreck. He's paralyzed from his neck down. And now then he's not only lost, but he's bitter at God because he's paralyzed. See, God had nothing to do with that. The devil had something to do with that. You just put him in God's hands and say, God, here's my loved one. Do whatever it takes to save him. And folk, and you can add, God deal gently with him because God will. He knows what it'll take to break him. And Help him get saved. So prayer released. Uh, number eight is urgency. Folks, there's an urgency about what we're doing. At age of 12, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. I must be about my father's business. When he met the woman at the well of Sychar and the, his preacher went down to buy meat and bread, when they came back, he said, lift up your eyes and gaze on the field. They're wide already to harvest. Folks, they had gone to town to buy meat and bed, didn't even see a lost person. You know why? They weren't looking for lost people. They were looking for meat and bread. You know why churches don't win very many souls to Christ? Because we're not looking for lost people. We're not. Folks, we're not looking for lost people. I was up here in a church in Kentucky, and uh, uh, after I talked to material, we had a question at the time, and this one lady said, let me, let me tell you my story. She said, our church decided we were going we to knock on every door in our area. So we kind of like to draw a circle on the map, like a half-mile area. And you can start out doing that and then go for a mile. Of course, here in the Lexington area, a mile a lot of people lives. And there's a lot of cars on the road, too, in that mile, I'll tell you for sure. Uh, but it, that's what they did. And, uh, and so they marked it off. And I guess somebody went down the different, different roads and counted the houses. So... She said, me and my partner on visitation night, uh, our first assignment was the house next door to the church. And she said, we went and knocked on the door. The man opened the door, and, and she said, we're from the church here, and told them their names, and, uh, and said, we want to come invite you to church, talk to you about the Lord. And, and here's what the guy said. He said, I've been living here in this house for 13 years. And he says, y'all are the first people from that church to ever come and talk to me about Jesus. He'd been living next door to the church for 13 years. Nobody had ever talked, go and talked to him about the Lord or even invited him to church. 13 years. But we're not looking for lost people. They're everywhere. Most of you raise your hands and say, I've got lost family members. Start with your family members. The yellow book's got a list on the back of 24 blanks. Start with them. Put your family members on there. Matter of fact, that's who you ought to start with. How can you have a burden for people in India and China and Africa if you don't even care about your own family members? Put them on your list first and pray for them. And that's God's paradigm. Acts 1-8, it 
He said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost had come upon you. You shall be witnessed unto me, beginning in Jerusalem. That's where they lived. Then Judea, that was the country they lived in. And then Samaria, that was the next country out. Then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Folks, if you can't witness to the people where you live, how are you going to go to Brazil and witness to people? I pastored 32 years. One of the things that used to bother me was somebody would pay $3,000 to go on a mission trip to, to, to Brazil to tell somebody about Jesus, and they had never, ever told anybody about Jesus where they lived next to our church. Now, if you can't tell people about Jesus here in Kentucky, you can't do it in, in India or somewhere either. Or you can do it, but you're not going to be effective. You understand what I'm saying? So start where you are. There's an urgency. The fields are wide under harvest. We've got to be busy about God's business. Number nine, there needs to be a spirit of sacrifice. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. Here's what Paul says. He could, I could wish, uh, he said, uh, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. And folks, listen to what he said. He said, I will not just gladly, but very gladly spend. That means give everything I've got. I'd be glad to spend and be spent. He's basically saying, I'm willing to be the coin of the kingdom for your salvation. I'm willing to spend and be spent for you. And folks, if you and I get to the place where we're willing to do that, if we're willing to spend, if we're willing to take the money God's given us and put it in missions, put it in evangelism, put it in folk getting saved, God will honor and bless that. Because I'm going to tell you, folks, if God's blessed you financially, don't hold on to your money. Don't spend it all on yourself. Put it into God's work. Because if you don't, what's going to happen? You're going to die, and your wife's going to marry another man. He's going to spend all your money. <laughs> and he's going to enjoy doing it. He can buy him a new car, motorcycle, boat. All the money you've been hoarding up, he's going to enjoy it. But if you pour it into God's work when you get to heaven, you'll get it back again in the blessings of God. You cannot give God. The first trip I came up here to Kentucky was in, in 2004, uh, 17 years ago. And I met a man by the name of Bill Stevenson, and he later became the vice president of our ministry. And Bill and his wife were killed about 10 or 11 years ago. He lived around Union, Kentucky. And uh, y'all may remember hearing about it, but they never have found who did it yet, but as far as I know. But anyway, Bill took me to a man. He said, Brother Lee, I'm going to take you up here in uh, in." Uh, I'm going to introduce you to this man. He's a businessman. And we got there. I didn't think he was very prosperous because his office building was, he had another man that worked for him in his own office, and he had, he had a portable divider between him and the other man. And I thought, this doesn't look that successful to me, you know. And uh, so Bill said, now, when we get there, I want you to just tell him your burden. Well, my burden was I wrote this yellow book, and God said, I want the hands of millions of people. And so I just what I told him. And he pulled out his checkbook and wrote a check and slid it across the desk to me. And I picked it up and looked at it, and I started weeping. He had written me a check for $20,000. I'd never seen a check that big in my life. And it was for our ministry to get books printed. Well, the next day, I talked to Bill on the, uh, uh, this guy on the phone. He was, he was crying. He said, Brother Lee, yesterday I made $140,000. He gave us $20,000. God restored it $140,000 that same day. Now, I can't guarantee you God will do the same thing for you, but I'm here to tell you, you cannot give him. I know that. One last story, and I'm finished. 
Some of you may have seen this movie several years ago, Schindler's List. Carl Schindler was a businessman in Germany during, during World War II. And Hitler, you know, was taking the Jews and putting them in prison camps and later killing them. He killed six million of them. But Carl Schindler, he was not a Christian folk. He was just a businessman, but he had a tender heart, evidently. And he tried to save some of these, these Jewish people. So he would go to the, uh, to the uh, commandant of these different prisons. He'd buy some of them and put them work in his munition factory. He had a munition factory, but he had it, he had it calibrated such that the bullets wouldn't shoot right because he didn't, he didn't want them to kill people, you know. But that's just the business he was in. And uh, he, he, he saved about 1,000 of these Jewish prisoners. And what he would do is he'd go to a prison, buy some prisoners. This man may, one man may say, listen, my wife is in this other prison. Would you get her, buy her too? So he'd go to the other prison and he'd buy her. And so he had a list. He was trying to buy up these people, maybe put families back together. And toward the end of the movie, his business uh, uh, man who was in charge of, of his accountant, I guess you'd call him, came to him and he said, uh, do you have any money put back? He said, no. He was a wealthy businessman. And his accountant said, well, he said, you don't have any money left. You spend it all on his shoes. And folks, instead of Carl Schindler getting upset because he didn't have any money left, all through the movie, he's wearing a gold lapel Nazi pin. He was a Nazi, but he, he wasn't even a Christian, but he had compassion. He pointed at this gold pin, and he said, I could have saved one more. I could have saved one more. He wasn't worried about being broke. He was concerned that he had something of value that he could use to save one more person, and he hadn't done it. Now, folks, I don't know if there's going to be any regrets in heaven. The Bible does say God's going to wipe away our tears, so evidently there may be some tears after we get there. But if they are, I think it's going to be tears of regret. I think some of us are going to look back in our lives on earth and say, you know, I could have done more. I could have done more. I could have done more. But folks, it would be too late. I could have prayed more. I could have given more. I could have served more. I could have witnessed more. I could have done more, and I didn't do it. And, folks, if you're going to do something, it's got to be now. I'm here to tell you, if you don't know it, our nation is in trouble. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm here to tell you, whatever we're going to do for the Lord, we need to do it now. We need to do it now. People are dying and going to hell. Over 63 million people will die this year. It's estimated only about 10 to 11% know the Lord. That means approximately 56 million people will go to hell this year. That's over a million a week. Not just die, but go to hell. And folk, Jesus paid the sin debt for every single one of them. And he gives us responsibility to do something about it. Let's do it. Amen? Let's do it. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to hearts this morning. Don't let us leave like we came. Dear Holy Spirit, I pray you'll take this message home to every heart. I pray you'll bring conviction. I pray you'll draw people to the place of surrendering totally to you, that they'll be obedient to you, do exactly what you tell them to do, no matter what it is. And Lord, I pray they'll do it this morning so the devil can't steal the word that's been planted in their hearts when they leave this building. Dear Holy Spirit, do an awesome work on hearts this morning. Draw them to the Lord Jesus. Whether they need to be saved, whether they need to, to, to give, uh, whether they need to just get right with God, they may have a sin in their life, whether they need to join this church. Lord, whatever it is they need to do to be what you want them to be and do what you want them to do, help them to do it this morning. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Let's stand this morning.
I'm going to ask for heads to be bowed, eyes to be closed. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And Brother Steve is going to come. And uh, we just want you to do what God wants you to do this morning. Brother Steve. It's not enough to just come to a church. It's not enough to listen. It's not enough to raise your hand. We all have to respond to whatever God's Spirit is saying. In these next moments, if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ, I want you to step out from where you are and come forward. There'll be people here on either side to talk with you. So if you've not given your heart to Christ, or you once walked with Him and you've been a long way for a long time, I want you to come back to Him today. If the Lord is calling you to do something, if you need a deeper surrender, I want you to come to this altar and I want you to kneel. I want you to say yes to Him. We all have a short time on this planet and we must be about our Father's business. I can't tell you what that is. Only He can tell you. So for these next moments, I want you to respond to whatever He says. If you've got a lost loved one and you want to come to the altar and pray for that boy, you want to pray for your husband, you want to pray for your mother that's not saved yet, I want you to come to the altar and pray for them. I want you to cry out to heaven. Obey the Lord. Say yes to him. When you humble yourself, that's the initiative you take as he spoke into your heart. Come to the altar this morning. Come to the altar this morning. Come to the altar this morning. Come and respond. Ask for a tender heart. Ask for him to tell you what to do. Life is short. We must be about the Father's business. Come to the altar today. Do business with God today. If you've got a burden, talk to him about it. If you need to repent of sin, come to the altar and tell him about it. Many of you raised your hands so I've got lost family members. You might want to come down the altar and pray for them, folks. The devil will tell you, don't do that. Wait till later. Folks, tomorrow is one of the devil's favorite words. That's what he did with Pharaoh. Plague will come up on him. Moses, go talk to him. He said, get rid of this plague. Moses, when you want to do that? He said, tomorrow. And that's the way the devil works. He's trying to tell you, wait till tomorrow. Wait till tomorrow. Wait till next week. Wait till next year. Don't do it now. Folks, if you got family members that are lost, you ought to be down here weeping for them. Paul said, I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my kinsmen according to the flesh. He was willing to take their place in hell. The psalmist says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come give him joy for bringing the sheaves with him. God guarantees you a harvest if you go out with a broken heart. 
You come down here, get on your face and weep for your loved ones. Folk, God will save your loved ones. Tears are liquid prayers. Don't let your loved ones die and go to hell. Do it now. Some of you, maybe you've joined the church, but in the depths of your heart, you know you don't have a real experience with Jesus Christ. You ought to run down this aisle. Don't wait till tomorrow. You may not have a tomorrow. Do what God's telling you to do. I can't tell you. Brother Steve can't tell you. The Holy Spirit's one who tells you. And I guarantee you, he's already told you what to do. Are you going to be obedient? I told you our biggest problem is our soul rebels against our spirit. And the Holy Spirit's already told your, your spirit what to do. And your spirit's telling your soul, your mind, your will, your emotion. So don't, don't say no to your spirit. Don't say no to the Holy Spirit. Be obedient today. Keep coming. This altar is holy. This is a place you surrender. This is a place you cry out. This is a place where something dies so something can live. Folks, a lot of people up here at the altar. This is a wonderful sight. You can make these front chairs an altar. Come kneel at them. Just, just be obedient to God this morning. This moment will never happen again. Move in this moment. Don't wait till next week. Don't ne wait till next Sunday. It won't be the same. This moment will not re be repeated. Do what the Lord tells you to do this morning.
Lord Jesus, pour yourself out on our church, on our families, Lord, on our sons and daughters on this city. Lord, we ask, visit us. Lord, remain with us. We pray for an awakening, Lord. We pray for a harvest, Lord. We pray for revival, one heart, one soul at a time. Use us as intercessors. Use us as evangelists, Father, to tell the good news. But we say in Jesus' name, take your hands, devil, off of our families and our kids. We rebuke you, command you to let go. Spirit of unbelief, we say, let your hands off now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Teach us to walk closely and obey you. And we thank you that we ask and we receive in the name of Jesus. If you have needs, there's people here to pray with you. On the sides, people to talk with you. Slip out quietly, pick up your children. God bless you. Walk closely. Anybody take the books anyway. We want you to have them. Thank you for joining us at Church of the Savior online today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in.